So just to rewind, in a period of 369 days, so just over a year, I had a heart attack that should have killed me. I lost my job during the Great Recession. My car was repossessed and my home was foreclosed. Michael, man. All those things happened because I was burned out. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host again, Jared Morgan. And today we're going to be talking burnouts with my new friend, Michael Levitt. Welcome to the show, Michael. Great to be with you, Jared. We're going to be talking burnout and hopefully not burning something on the grill. Uh, so today uh, I'm actually going with uh, charcoal pellets in the grill. We do a pellet grill here. Don't come at me if you're a barbecue purist. Um, but man, I got something pretty good to go in the grill, Michael. I don't know. Do you grill ever? Do you ever do any like grilling out in the backyard? Definitely. Whenever I get a chance to, uh, I split my time from in San Diego and Toronto and uh, the Toronto condo. I, I don't have an outside grill, uh, but in San Diego I do. So, um, I, so I have, I have ways. And of course there's a campground not too far from me. So it's like when I, when I'm ready to get real, I get the old camping grill and we go crazy and we, we cook up all kinds of good stuff. Dude, San Diego and Toronto two places that definitely do not suck. Right. I, I, both of those cities are incredible. And so I'm jealous that you split time between those two. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's a fun opportunity. I'm a dual citizen. So I like to say I can vote and screw up two countries, but then I stop (laughs) there. I don't tell people who I vote for because half of them will hate me. So I I want everybody to at least, you know, acknowledge me. So I, I, I understand, you know, the, the differences between all the sides and there's more in common than there isn't. But, uh, unfortunately right now, everything's so polarized that, uh, there's everybody is either one way or the other on it. And I think we got to find some more common ground areas. Let's get this, uh, this meat on the grill. So today we have a cornbread stuff. Come on, you know, Oh boy. Bacon wrap. Come on, somebody. Pork loin, pork tenderloin. There you go. And we hit it with some nice barbecue rub. And this, uh, man, you can't, you can, it's hard to screw up a pork tenderloin, which is good for me. Uh, so I've got my probe in there. Keep an eye on it. So the differences between Canada and U.S., I'm always like, I was like super curious about that, but let's talk politics and let's don't go into like sides or whatever, but American politics seems wildly fractured right now. Right. And really, really at odds. Is that you see a parallel in Canada or is it a little more civilized? We we are definitely seeing that a lot more. Um, Years and years ago, I worked for a software company and the owners were Canadian and they had immigrated to the United States and, you know, they were U.S. citizens and all of that. And, and they were explaining to me, cause I was, uh, in the process or in Canada, they say process, uh, but I was in the process of immigrating to Canada with my first wife and they were kind of explaining to me, it's like, okay, let, let's give you the, the inside information on, on Canada. I'm like, okay, well, this is coming from Canadians. So I'm going to listen. And they said when it came to like initiatives and politics and movements and a variety of other things, Canada tends to be 
anywhere from 10 to 20 years behind the United States on those initiatives to take hold. Now, with the internet and social media and all of that, I've noticed, because I've been here since 2004, I've noticed that that time frame has shrunk tremendously. Interesting. Uh, it's almost instantaneous. Uh, the The political divide that we have in Canada is very similar to the U.S., not quite as, let's see, I want to say vulgar maybe, but it, it's getting there. There's there's some angst building up, and I think a lot of that has to do with everything else that's transpired over the last few years with pandemic, lockdowns. Now we have inflation, supply chain issues. There's the conflict in Ukraine and uncertainty about that and everything else that's going on in the world. Just people seem to be a little bit on edge, and they're stressed, and if you have prolonged stress, that's what turns into burnout. So just how people are living is creating a lot of issues for a lot of people. And that's why we're seeing these burnout numbers that we're seeing pretty much everywhere we look. You touched on it there. Let's let's dive into it. I mean, burnout. You refer to yourself as a chief burnout officer. So is that a title you earned or is that a title you gave yourself or... The answer is yes. I uh, earned it because I've been doing burnout work for a long time, had my own personal journey with burnout, and the title came to me in the shower where a lot of great ideas will come. So I always tell people, you know, keep a notepad, you know, one of those, you know, washable type of things, you know, a piece of paper is going to get wet and it's going to disintegrate, but you know, have a, you know, washable marker or something in your, in your shower. So if an idea comes in, you can write it down pretty quickly and go back to it later. But yeah, it's it's been some work that I've been doing. Uh, I launched the organization officially in 2016, but my burnout journey was back in 2007 to 2009 and uh, nearly lost everything, including my life because of it. And after basically rebuilding myself and before I continue, I want to always want to frame this. Okay. 99.9% people that are burning out do not need to reinvent their life. Okay. okay. A lot of people are afraid because they, they hear my story and they go, I don't want to do that. I don't want to change everything about my life. In my case, I needed to, but the majority of people don't. They just have to make a couple adjustments here and there. Can I stop you before you go much further into it? What would you what would you define burnout is? Burnout is prolonged stress. It's when you're overwhelmed with life, when you can't meet the demands of life, you're fatigued, you're just dull is a great way to put it. I'm not saying boring. I'm just saying you're just kind of numb and just dulled down from all the things that are going on in your life. And you're just so overwhelmed that you're basically frozen. And all of a sudden you start getting irritated at things you shouldn't really get irritated about. You quit doing things in life you're doing. So for example, you, you, you could be in a situation where if you're really burned out, you're like, you know what? I don't feel like grilling anymore. I'm just going to order in. And you know, like, wait a minute. I love to grill. Why don't I want to do this? And right. that's those are some of the warning signs that I see a lot is when people stop doing things in life that they actually love doing because they say, well, I'm too busy. Work's too busy. And those are just excuses. The reality is they're just so wiped out. They just don't feel like doing anything. Yeah, to me, burnout felt like, you know, I'm if I'm swinging a bat, like a baseball bat, it's just not going as fast as it used to. And the things that I used to be really good at, I'm 
20, 30% less effective at, or maybe it takes me 20, 30% longer to do something or it just, and I'm making those numbers up, but it was just, you know, the difference between being very, very effective and being, um, like it's just taken everything out of you to do things that you used to do second nature. That's a great analogy. It's a tough thing to find yourself in because it's not always easy to dig yourself out of it. Yeah, it, it, it's difficult, especially as you're going through it, because it doesn't happen overnight. It starts building up over time and how long really depends on the individual. But I, I love your analogy on there where it's like, I normally could do this. And now, you know, I used to be a 300 hitter. Now I'm you know batting 240. And I'm sitting on the bench where I used to be leadoff and it's, it's frustrating. And then you, then because you're frustrated, you say, well, I'm just going to work harder. And that's where you get in trouble because you're putting more emphasis into it. And that more isn't that good. So it's a case where sometimes you just have to take a step back and go, okay, what's going on? And, and really have an understanding of what is actually going on in your world that's creating these situations and also your mindset. That A lot of it is that because I see time and time again when I'm working in an organization, there could be a couple people that are burned out and there's a couple other people in their department that aren't. And they're all doing the same work, but it's like, okay, in the same work levels and load and everything like that. And you go, okay, well, what's the difference? And you see that there's some other circumstances, sometimes in work, sometimes outside of work, that's adding to it. And it just, you know, how people navigate through it differs. But ultimately is once you realize that you're in this kind of state, it, it's best to just kind of take a step back, stop and figure out where you're at and, and start thinking, okay, where am I at now? Where do I want to be? What's that gap? Okay, what do I need to do in order to shrink that gap so I'm back to doing the things I like doing at the pace that I like doing them? And, you know, that work can take some time, but it doesn't take a long time. Where the deeper work happens is figuring out why you burned out in the first place. Yeah, because that, I mean, that's what I was getting ready to ask. And I want I want you to tell your your burnout story but I would I, let's let's dive into what you just said there. Are there some common threads or common themes that you see when you're when you're you know giving some analysis to somebody who says they're burned out? Like, are there common? Oh, it's usually one of these three things, or is it always something different? It's usually the same two or three things. One, you know, how are they sleeping? Are they getting good sleep? Or are they tossing and turning all oh. the time? And how long has their sleep been problematic? Because when we sleep and we get good deep sleep, that's when our body is repairing the damage that we do to ourselves on a daily basis. All the stress, the fatigue, the foods we eat, the air we breathe, the water we drink, all those things have an impact. And of course, the information that we consume. And that that has been, and especially in, in recent memory, a lot of the information we consume, unfortunately, is negative. Doesn't matter what you watch, there's just a lot of negativity going on. Right. So we consume that and it's like consuming bad food eventually it's going to take a toll on you. So what happens is you're not getting good sleep. So you're not repairing that damage that the stress did to you today. So what happens is you're going into tomorrow and you're carrying yesterday's baggage of stress. And, and now you're picking up new bags of stress from today. And that starts piling up. And that's when you start having 
more mental and physical challenges and you know it can be a real big health scare and uh, when i share my story I'll, I'll let you know why i say that so that sleep is definitely one thing another one is when you're working longer hours and a lot of people entrepreneurs business owners they work long hours but what happens is they start taking shortcuts and not taking breaks they're not getting away from the work they're constantly going so what they're doing and a lot of times is their nutrition choices aren't that good, which again has an impact on your sleep because if you're eating foods that are quote unquote bad for you, your digestive system has to work overtime to try to work through that because it's in a way kind of a poison or a toxin to your body and everybody's different. And yeah, I had a food intolerance test done a couple of years ago and I was alarmed at the foods that I actually have an intolerance to. So I started phasing those out of my diet and it improved my sleep because the foods I do eat that are good for me, literally, you know, they work right through. There's no problem. So just understanding what foods are good for you, because that helps with your energy, keeps your your levels right and, and all of that good stuff. And then finally, a thing I see a lot, too, is it's a combination of forgetfulness, you're in a fog, you're in a daze, you're not seeing things clearly, you know, going back to your analogy of, you know, your batting average is down 30 points, you know, the bat's not swinging as fast, you're also not seeing that ball as clearly as you did before. And when you're fatigued and stressed and burned out, your cognitive abilities get impacted. So that means you're not able to process information or problem solve as quick as you used to, which gets you irritated and frustrated because you're mad. You're like, you should be able to do this. Why can't I do this today? So that just starts piling on. So I tend to see those things all kind of combined together when people are burning out. I mean, that's so fascinating. And I, I can't, I did not expect for you to say sleep that overtly. But it makes perfect sense, right? And you led with that, right? It's such an interesting, you know, you. So when someone says, I'm burned out, the knee jerk reaction is like, oh, you're working too hard, right? Or they might as work, 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 or whatever. And that's obviously a part of the equation, but it's so interesting to talk about sleep, you talk about diet, um, how those can contribute to those things too. I think, you know, when I was younger, I could, just like everybody, like I could go, 18 hours busting my butt on nothing but coffee and, you know, like an occasional bite of a pizza slice or something and, and great. And now I'm 40 and I'm like, you know, oh, I, th- I think that casserole had dairy in it, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling like not great. Right. And so I, it's, I think as you get older, you get a little more susceptible to that stuff too. But, you know, I think it sneaks up on you. And for, for some people, I guess, how do you realize what is, I mean, we talked about the batting average and that analogy, but is there, do you have any kind of tips and tricks for people to identify burnout when it's happening? This is either in yourself or in your colleagues or loved ones. If you notice they're not their normal self. And what I mean by that is let's say, and I'll use a real life example. I was a season ticket holder for the Detroit Tigers uh, because I lived in the Detroit area uh, prior to my burnout journey. And the beautiful thing about being a season ticket holder, uh, that's why I love the baseball analogy, is you buy the tickets, you get the parking, you get the food vouchers, you get the beer vouchers, 
you just got to show up. You you could leave your wallet at home. You're not you've you've got everything. Right. You, as long as you got your ticket and the vouchers, you're golden. You can, literally you just have to physically get there. And when I was at my most burned out state, I quit going to the games. And I love baseball. I love it. I mean, I, I've been a kid ever since. Well, I was a little kid. You know, I remember buying a pack of Topps baseball cards when I was, I think, eight or nine years old. Yes. And I, I opened them up. I looked at the back and I saw all the stats. And I was curious as to, okay, how do they get these stats? How do they calculate that? So I was able to figure it out. Didn't have a calculator. Took paper, pencil, figured out how to do it. And my first career was actually accounting. So oh. I, I blame baseball cards for that. So I was always inclined to you know, kind of dig into the numbers and look at that. Now I haven't been an accountant for a long time and, and absolutely despise even thinking about doing any type of accounting stuff. It's like, Oh no, I don't want, no, 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 no. And you, you I'll off. I'll follow that. Somebody else do that, please. Sure. But I quit going to the games. So if you, if you're quit doing things you like doing, you're like, I don't feel like doing that. You got to ask yourself, okay, why don't I feel like doing that? Is it just because, it's ran its course, you know, maybe you were into doing something and now you're like, yeah, I don't feel like doing that. You know, that that's fine. But if you start noticing it time and time again, that is a big, big warning sign. Yeah. But side note, are so Padres or Blue Jays, are you adopting either one of those teams going back and forth? Padres for sure. Um, I love what they're doing. Not a ton of points for being a Padres fan at the moment. That's 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 easy yeah so you know this you know they've done a lot of moves and their ownership obviously wants to win so they're they're spending a ton of money on things and all that but you know they've got you know the dodgers in their division and there's the giants and yeah so it it, it's not going to be easy you can spend all the money in the world doesn't mean you're going to win you can ask the new york yankees all about that um they've done that for years uh ask the mets ask the mets yeah the mets do the same thing through if you throw a bunch of money at it and you think it's going to, no, it doesn't, doesn't always work that way. So, uh, and you know, the Jays are, you know, the Jays are decent. We're going to see. Um, but again, they're in, they're in the same division with the Yankees and the Red Sox. So good luck. Right. You know, it's, it, that's, it's it, both, both teams are in very difficult divisions and they just have to, you know, if everything lines up, they'll be, they'll be good. But yeah, it's, um, I love, I love the game. I love watching, I love going to games when I can, when I travel and I do a a bunch of travel, you know, I try to, if, if there's a game going on while I'm in town somewhere, then I'll go. And last year I went to Braves game and, uh, there was somebody else. Uh, then then I I also went to, it was playoffs. I was in, um, Phoenix, uh, and the Suns were playing and, um, I thought it was like game seven, you know, there was like, not, not the quarter, I think it was the quarterfinals game seven, got, got ticket, went in there and, um, they were down by 30 at halftime. So like, Ooh, maybe I'm not, I'm not good luck for this team. Uh, Oh, sorry. You know, it's like, sorry about that. I was like, it was, it was bad. They could not, I, from my ankle, that basket was warped because nothing was going in and Dallas was hitting oh, everything. God. But um, yeah, that, that was, that was fun. But yeah, when I travel, I, you know, if, if there's a sporting event in town, uh, I try to line it up. So it, it's good. Nice. So I'm checking the, uh, the pork here. So this, uh, we actually froze this one and defrosted. So I think it was a little, a little colder than normal in the middle. So I'm, I'm going to, it's going to take a little bit longer than normal. 
that's okay. We got time. Okay, Michael. So let's talk about your, your burnout story. So, and it sounds like it kind of, it kind of winds into some pretty serious territory. Yeah, it does. And you know, there, there are times where I look back at it and I go, wow. And I lived it, you know, it was my life, but I still kind of look at it from a distance now and where I am today and who I am today. I look and go, Ooh, wow. So back in 2007, I was hired as a new healthcare executive for a startup healthcare clinic just outside of Windsor, Ontario, Canada. And that, that location is important later on in the story. But this was the first time that I'd ever worked in healthcare. I, I never worked in healthcare before. I had a lot of startup experience, but I never worked in healthcare. So I had a big learning curve. I had to learn everything there was to know about running a medical clinic, recruiting physicians, hiring staff, navigating, ordering all the medical equipment. I had no idea what an autoclave was. I'm like, well, and why is it $4,000? <laughs> so there, so it, I, I call it the very expensive dishwasher. It's basically a... a machine that sterilizes the medical utensils, you know, like the scissors and scalpels and things like that. But it, it at that time it was over $4,000. I'm like the old accountant in me went, wow, that's a little pricey. But having said that, if you're being operated on, I think you want the utensils to be sterile. So yes. it makes sense. At least I do. Um, but, you know, but so basically I it was in all of that. And in Canada, the healthcare system is funded by the government. So instead of the insurance companies and all of that and private and pad of pocket type of things, it's it's funded by the government here. So dealing with the government, that alone can give you a lot of headaches and challenges. And it was very stressful. So for a period of two years, from 2007 to 2009, I was pretty much working from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. seven days a week. Wow. Uh, even though I was an employee and not the owner of this clinic, I treated it and I went into it type A personality, wanted to prove a point that, you know, I just basically said, this is my company and I'm going to do whatever it takes to run it. So I put in all those long hours. I didn't delegate very well. I was just going at it full, full steam. So that all came to a crashing halt in May of 2009. So I'll paint the story for you. Monday morning, out, or excuse me, Monday evening after work, I uh, was mowing my lawn and I had an electric lawnmower because gas prices were crazy then and didn't have a huge lawn. So I was like, hey, you know what, why don't we just use this electric mower? So I picked up a used one and really, really bulky, really, really hard to turn. So I'm mowing the front lawn. And I get one row done. I turn the lawnmower to start mowing the next row. And I felt this really sharp pain in the center of my chest. Oh, wow. And it hurt. It hurt so bad that I couldn't finish mowing the lawn because, I, again, that lawnmower was hard to turn. So I, I figured, okay, I twisted myself and pulled the muscle pretty bad. So got the lawnmower, at least in the backyard, went inside, took some pain medication. The pain went away unless I lifted something up with my right arm. Now I'm left-handed, so I don't typically lift a lot with my right arm. I do more now. I've, I've, I've tried to, it's like, use both appendages. You know, they're here. You might as well put one to work. So, but back then I didn't really lift a whole lot with my right arm. So never really noticed anything. So fast forward to Thursday night of that week, went out to dinner at a local restaurant. They had an all you could eat special. Okay. 
I took them up on it. And it was a bunch of fried goodness. You know, you had burgers, you had steaks, you had chicken, you had fish. And it was like this big deal because I think it was their anniversary, if I remember correctly. So all you can eat special, I think it was 35 or 40 dollars which is like eh, that's not going to be a good steak but it was actually not bad <laughs> but i i i was surprised i'm thinking th- th- this is going to be you know do you remember steakums do you remember the steakums sandwiches like paper wafer thin steaks you know yeah exactly they were tasty i mean not yeah. top quality you know but yeah they, they was there I, I was expecting that but it was it was a couple grades above that so so I ate all of that stuff and, of course, washed it down with a bunch of adult beverages. So I had a great night. So I got home, went to bed. A couple hours later, I woke up and that pain that I had on Monday night was back, but it was at least 100 times worse. It literally felt like an elephant was stepping on my chest. So I thought to myself, okay, the indigestion has arrived oh, and uh, okay. Cause that's yeah. what I figured. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, this is great. You know, I ate way too much. So found some Tums in the bathroom, ate some, was able to go to sleep. So Friday morning, I wake up that pain that I've been feeling occasionally when I did anything with my right arm was persistent. It wasn't going away and it was a dull pain. It hurt, but it wasn't like, Oh, this is the worst pain ever, but it was just persistent. So went into the clinic, started working after about 45 minutes and said, okay, this is annoying. So I, I asked uh, our lead physician and I explained to him what was going on for the week. And he said, yeah, could you check it out and, you know, listen, see if there's something going on or maybe, you know, write me a prescription or something, or maybe send me off for an x-ray or just to see, you know, if I pulled something. He said, well, let's, let's listen. So he, you know, he listened to my chest and he said, all right, well, We've got the EKG equipment here. Let's let's run a test just to make sure there's nothing going on. Um, so they, you know, said, okay, that's fine. So they go back into the procedure room, and our phys- lead physicians there, our nurse, and a couple um, clinical admin slash um, assistants were in there to help with the procedure. And all of a sudden, they start laughing hysterically and cracking sexual harassment jokes. Because their boss was taking his clothes off at work. So I'm stripped down to my underwear. They're cracking all the jokes. You know, this was before Me Too and all of that. So yeah, not that it was right then either, but it was, I was so embarrassed. I'm sure I was red as a tomato. And they're like, all right, all right, all right, enough, enough. Let's, let's Yeah, exactly. So they, they hook up everything and they run the test and they look at it and they're like, this looks weird. So they, they thought, you know what, we're going to disconnect everything and we're going to run the test again to see because these doesn't look right. So they did everything. They hooked up all the electrodes again, ran the test again, and the test came back the same way. So they went, well, all right. So they called uh, Dr. Gina, who is the cardiologist at Hotel Du Grace Hospital, and they explained to him, they said, well, send over the results. So they sent over the results, and five minutes later, Dr. Gina calls back to the clinic and says, tell Michael to get his butt to the hospital right now, and he cannot drive here. So basically what had happened is I had a pretty significant heart attack that Thursday evening. Oh, no. I had two clogs or two blockages in my left interior descending artery. Now, for those that aren't familiar with that particular artery in cardiology world, 
that artery has a nickname. It's called the Widowmaker because typically when you have a blockage or blockages in that artery and you have a heart attack, you're being viewed instead of seen. And I was very, 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 very fortunate to be alive, even to the point where when Dr. Morsey, the cardiologist that did the surgical procedure to put the stents in that artery, when I met him a, a few days later uh, to you know, do the procedure, you know, he comes into the room. My former wife and my mom are on my right side, and he comes in the left, doesn't say good morning, doesn't say anything. He just looks at the paper, leans into me and goes, you know, you should be dead right now. Oh, my God. Now, mom and my former wife are crying crazy right now and i laugh at him and i go you skipped bedside manner class in college (laughs) didn't you and he laughed i laughed they're crying they're like mad at me because i'm making jokes i'm like what else am i gonna do yeah it's like so he said all right we're gonna go in probably just need a couple stents and we'll get you out of here so they put in the stents and way go so i'm on medical leave for about three months. And after I am cleared by the doctor to go back to work, uh, my employer decided they didn't want me back. So they let me go. Oh, wow. So here I am fresh off a heart attack. And then I'm now out of a job in Windsor across the border from Detroit, Michigan. If you recall the time frame there, 2009. Anybody remember the Great Recession? Oh, geez. Yeah, Detroit was ground zero, man. Yeah, General Motors and Chrysler both had to be bailed out by the U.S. government. Ford came real close. And so in that area, it's definitely controlled by the auto industry. So when the auto industry is not doing well, nobody's doing well. So there was no jobs to be found. I went on interviews here and there, but couldn't find anything. So and that's how I ended up being in Toronto was the closest place I could find anything. Cause I looked in Chicago, I looked in Detroit, I looked in Windsor, I looked everywhere and was finally able to find a role in Toronto and moved up here. I was commuting on the weekends back as we had not found a place uh, for the family to live yet in Toronto. So I'm up at my new role for about a couple of weeks. And then I get a phone call from my oldest daughter and she's crying and she was 10 at the time. Couldn't understand her. And then finally got from her that the bank had come and they had repossessed our family vehicle. Oh, no. Now, when you are on unemployment and so many people, unfortunately, have experienced that at some point in their life. And you know what the pay is. It's nowhere near what you're getting before. And now I'm on heart medication with no insurance coverage. It was costing me $1,000 a month out of pocket. You got to make choices feed the family, take these medications to keep me alive or make the car payment and the house payment. Well, you know what I chose. And we worked with our creditors and we told them we were upfront with them what was going on. And they were great. They gave us a lot of grace period, but unfortunately that grace period ran out. And of course, during that time, there was a lot of people going through similar situations and not being able to pay their bills because they were out of a job, the mortgage crisis, you name it, there's all kinds of things going on. So fast forward, finally find a place to rent up in Toronto, move the family up, start unpacking, realized that we left the bunk bed ladder back at the old house that we were getting ready to list. We'd already had the realtor signed up and everything was getting ready to list. So 
I was like, well, I'm going back the next weekend to visit with some friends and then I'll just swing by the house and grab the ladder and anything else that we may have left behind. So I had the visit and then I went to the house and I opened up the front screen door and I saw the largest padlock in my life on the door and a small sticker that said foreclosure. Oh God. I never got a letter from the bank that they were going to do that. So just to rewind, in a period of 369 days, so just over a year, I had a heart attack that should have killed me. I lost my job during the Great Recession. My car was repossessed and my home was foreclosed. Michael, man. All those things happened because I was burned out. My burnout created those scenarios. I wasn't eating well. I was making mistakes at work. I definitely wasn't sleeping well. And when all those those dominoes fell at the same time, and it was the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me because it gave me a second chance to really reevaluate how I was living my life. And I was obviously not living my life in a good way. Uh, And so I... You know, like when I said the 99.9%, I'm the 0.1. Um, and I had to, I had to. Now, I could have not. I could have said, you know what? I survived all those things. I'm still standing. It's like, huh, I must be Superman. Great. Okay, let's go. I could have easily done that. I could have easily gone down the same path that I did before, not change a thing, not make any adjustments in my life, and just continue on doing my thing. I probably wouldn't be here if I would have done that. So I thought, okay, I need to go back and kind of reevaluate some things. And that took time. Mm. Uh, it, it's not like a, eh, we're going to go on a, you know, a 21 day retreat and I'm going to completely understand everything there is to know about me. Not knocking those. There's a lot of insights you can get if you do those things. But for me, it was, why was that important? Why did I want to run that organization that way? Why was it important to me to prove that? What was I trying to accomplish? Was it for my ego? Was it, you know all those things? And you know why did I eat those foods? Why did I do this? Why? And and I, but the thing of it is, what was really important. I had a really good friend at the time that told me this, and he told me, and he encouraged me to do this deep dive. He said, "Do not be critical of yourself. Do not beat yourself up." Approach it as if you were a child learning about a new toy and just, how's this work? How's this work? How's it? And just approach it that way. You know, why was that important to me? And come to grips with why it did. And it's like, okay, is that still important now? Or how could I do that differently? And it was that gap analysis type of thing that we do. It's like, all right, where do I want to be? Where am I at now? Okay, what do I need to do to get to where I need to get to? And that was, again, a lot of work that uh, I did. And after coming out of that and being a much better, healthier, happier, productive person, yeah, I started noticing my peers in work and in the sector that I was working in were going down the same path that I did. I'm like, ooh, this isn't good. So I started warning them and I didn't really share anything about what was going on with me. Cause at that point it was still pretty personal. I'm like, I, you're going to want to watch out for this. And no, no, I'm just going to work through it. I'm just gonna work through it. I'll be fine. So I thought, you know what? I need to start researching this. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write a blog about this and just kind of share some ideas on burnout. So I started doing some research on burnout and opened up that Pandora's box. Now this is 2000. 
late 2014, early 2015 and realized, wow, this burnout thing is a pretty big deal. And, and obviously knowing now, I mean, there's just, it, it's, you know, just exploded, unfortunately, but it, it started getting a lot of traction. And what I realized was, okay, there's some work to be done here. What can I do about this? And that's when the yeah. idea of, well, maybe I should start consulting about this, talking about this, writing about this, because I, I've got this personal experience with it. I know how to solve it. I know the signs. I know what steps for people to take so they can create the life that's free from burnout and and be able to do the things that they want to do in life, because life is too important to miss and too many people unfortunately that are burned out are missing key components of their life gosh michael what a story like i mean you so you you essentially almost killed yourself with burnout um so as you approached it i love your analogy of saying instead of beating yourself up and but looking at it like a child figuring out a toy figuring out how things work. What, I mean, you've talked about diet, you've talked about sleep, you know, are there things other than that? I mean, usually people think, okay, burnout, I need a vacation, right? Does, does time off and leisure time factor into that in a big way? Or is that just kind of a cop out that people just default to? It, it tends to be a cop-out unless they do some other things that, again, got them to that burned-out state. Because when they take, and this is you see this a lot, a lot of people are afraid to take vacation because they know that the amount of work that they have is going to be even bigger when they get back. So they don't want to take time off. And I worked with a guy years ago that had not taken vacation time in almost a decade. And, and the way that things were set up in that organization, it made it next to impossible for him to do so. So one of the initiatives that we took on was, okay, we need to create some minions for you. Uh, and at least so that way you can step away from things. And it, it worked really well because I, I, you know, I'm still connected and I, I see him on social media. So he went from never being able to take a vacation and always working, and he worked in data quality and analysis and things like that, and managed the database for this organization, international, all that good stuff. So he went from not being able to take a vacation to, you know, he takes a lot of time off because he's been there for so long. He's got a ton of vacation time built up. So what he does is a lot of charity bike runs. So I'll see oh, him. Wow. Okay, he he's riding his bike in Tibet. Or he's in some northern mountainous region in Antarctica, I think. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a little bit different than trying to get him out of his office to at least go grab a cup of coffee. Something changed. It's like, well, we we created the environment so that he could go on vacation and actually vacate from work. And organizations need to somehow figure that out. Back during the Great Recession, this is when it really started becoming a problem and organizations have never really rebounded from this, is the people that didn't get let go you know, were fortunate enough to quote-unquote keep their job. And then, of course, they had to, for a short period of time, do the work of the people that you know, were let go. Yeah, pick up the slack. Exactly. Right. It tripled. Work, work tripled. Yeah. And guess what? They 
you know, the bottom line, like, hey, well, we're getting work done with less people. Oh, yeah. Why would we hire more people? And we see it time and time again and in all kinds of organizations, you know, publicly traded ones to small mom and pop shops. They're like, no, we're just going to limp along. And what's happening, that's why you're starting to see the great resignation and quiet quitting and all the other things that we're hearing about is people and the, the pandemic was a, a, a Kickstarter for it, for sure. And although it was building up before that, people are like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. My job description says this. That's what I'm doing. And it's much like the political divide that we have. There's a divide between employees and employers in some of these organizations. And it's it's not pretty. Yeah. And it's causing stress. And, of course, prolonged stress turns into burnout. So there's so many different ingredients going on right now. And it's a case of just, all right, let's take a step back. And remind ourselves who we are as an organization, who we are as an individual. What's our mission? What are we trying to accomplish? Who's our customers? What are we trying to do? And start building that accordingly. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I use the analogy a lot of when things are really messy in your life or really messy in your workplace or things like that. It's a lot like that junk drawer that we all have. It's got all the little ah, bits and pieces of crap, the stuff right. that we just, I don't know where to put this. I'm going to throw it in there. So eventually right. you can't open the drawer anymore because it's stuck because there's something that's hitting it. And you're like, and then you muscle the thing out and everything goes flying everywhere. And then you say some choice words and then you're like, all right, well, it's a case where a lot of us are dealing with these junk drawers that we haven't addressed these issues. So it's a case of, okay, let's take it out. Let's look at what we have and figure out, okay, does this still service or should we get rid of it? Or why are we doing it this way? Well, we've always done it that way. Does that mean it's right? right. No, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Exactly. So it's, and it's time consuming. And a lot of people go, well, we don't have time for that. Well, if you don't have time for that, then when you start making more and more mistakes, guess what? You're doing the job. Instead of doing the job one time, you're doing it three times. And they're like three you did it wrong the first time. Now you have to undo what you did. That's the second time. That's right. Now you got to do it the right time. So at least three times. No wonder we're not getting anything done because we're doing things three or four times when we should be doing them once. And if why are we doing them right the first time? Well, there's all kinds of reasons for that. A lot of it's that junk drawer. Uh, so there's so many different ingredients that are factoring into why people are stressed and burning out and quiet quitting and quit and just leaving outright because there's just all this junk that people have not been addressing for so long. And it's time to have those open, frank conversations, but again, approach it like a child and approach it with curiosity going, okay, well, if we could do this differently, how would that look? And open that up. Yeah, it's so timely for everybody to hear this. And for me, so here's here's the ironic thing. This was a perfectly timed interview and episode for me. So for those that don't follow my story, I started a business, ran it for 15 years called Proctor U, great tech business, very proud of the success we had. Mm -hmm. um, and I have just retired from that business last week um, after 15 years. And when this episode airs, um, which will air in two weeks, so whenever you're hearing this, it's two weeks before we were recording this. When this episode airs, I will be taking the first vacation I have taken 
um, that is, I'm going to take a two week vacation. It is the first time in my adult life I've ever taken two weeks off. And up until about a year ago, I had never taken a week off. I had only taken a couple of days here. And even if I went out of town, there was always like work in the middle of it. It was like a meeting or something that I was due for a day or two. And so there was never like time to really recharge. But what's been really, I think, really eye opening about your thank and by the way, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's very personal, but very um I don't know a person that could listen to that and not get like a visceral reaction to that story. But what's so great about your story is it kind of reminds me that, you know, this two week vacation isn't just about me going somewhere cool with my wife or, you know, getting some things done around the house. It's time for me to kind of take stock of you know, what's my diet look like and you know, what's what's sleep look like and what kind of healthy habits do I need to bring back into my life um, mm-hmm. so that I can ensure that. I've got gas in the tank to keep going so that we don't get in this. You know, it's not a it's not realistic to think that you can take two week vacations all the time. Uh, but it is realistic to think that you can get a good night's sleep most nights. Right. I think that is yeah. that's something well within your control. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I always tell people that, you know, are ambitious to you know make some improvements in their life. You know, take that two week vacation um, and. When thoughts, because a lot of times people say, okay, I'm going to take a two-week vacation. Okay, you're going somewhere, you're going to do sightseeing, things like that. Be present. So if you're going in, if you're in a museum or you're backpacking somewhere, whatever you're doing, be present. Yeah, the mind's going to go, yeah, I should do this. Well, you know what? Keep a notepad and just like write it down real quick and then put it back in your pocket and you can go back to it later. Don't try to change everything at once. Figure out, okay, what what's the low lying fruit? Okay, what can I what can I say? You know, I'm gonna do this. So, like for people that are like, I want to start an exercise regime. Okay, we'll just start walking. Go walk for five minutes, and then next week try six or seven. Go slow. Don't try to say, you know what, I'm gonna go from this and I'm gonna run a marathon. Well, that's great, but. In all likelihood, you're not going to be ready to do that. You got to build it up. It's habit forming. It's going to take time, and there's going to be setbacks. You're going to go. I'm going to eat healthier and all that stuff, and then next thing you know, you're going to smell something like I'm going to cook that tonight. And you're like, okay, healthy is in the eye of the beholder. But again, going back to that food intolerance test, yeah, those foods, those grains, and other things that you're putting into that pork loin or something might be exactly what your body needs for its energy and all that other stuff, the proteins and, and carbs and all the other stuff, your body needs those things. So yeah, yeah, it's, but it's just approach it slow, you know, and, you know, write it down, you know, the things you want to do, but don't, don't say, okay, I'm gonna get all this done by August. No, I always tell people, especially when they do goal planning or year end planning or things like that. It's like, okay, if you want to go and list all these things, that's awesome. But you're going to take a separate sheet and you're going to say, okay, for 20, let's say we're going to do an exercise for 2024. And you said, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to say, okay, take another sheet and write down 2024 goals. I want you to write down two of those things. Just two. Don't go anymore. Two. Because if you look at that list, you're like, I'm never going to be able to do it. You pick on one or two. Yeah, you might be able to implement some things. Start small. And then you'll get momentum and then it'll become part of your DNA, part of your habit to 
just okay i'm i'm going to improve some things i want to i want to learn something new or i want to do something differently or i want to learn i mean you you on the barbecue you're like you know what there's a a course or this executive chef that's somewhere that is you know award winning barbecue i want to learn from them and you invest the money and you go and you study under them and you learn some new techniques and you like never thought about that it's like even it's like okay, I turn it have 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 the pork loin at a seventy five degree angle instead of a ninety degree angle, and it will cook more. Whatever I'm just you know pulling stuff on my butt, but yeah, at the end of the day, there I know there's there's certain things that you know it's like oh, and so it's like little techniques like okay, yeah, use this type of paring knife for this instead of this, or okay, when you run into this, this is so the these little things all of a sudden you're like great and then that's when the creative juices start coming in so you know what i'm gonna try this instead of that and see how that turns out and like when you're cooking a dish you're like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna try this you got me thinking about the pork loin let's take a look at it while we're here there speaking, you go. Of, speaking of creative juices uh yep by the way i love talking about healthy eating and then like a jackass coming over here and looking at my bacon wrapped pork loin that i'm doing on this show you need proteins life is about balance right i did go i did exactly. work out really hard this morning so well there you go you you, that's you, the plan. you, you, you now now you need to replenish that energy that you you burned off that's you right. know so it's like okay i got i got because otherwise it's like then you, you you're you're like okay i did this and i had you know nothing but kale salads and <laughs> I, I literally, you know, and I saw this literally an email came across because, again, I used to work in healthcare, So occasionally I still get some healthcare related things. And there was some study and I didn't see where it was from. So, you know, don't quote me on this. But there was some concerns on uh, keto like diets and they're noticing some increases in heart disease related issues. And you're like, oh. OK, so obviously that's going to be dug into and that came from a medical journal it wasn't you know yahoo news or something right, like that it right. was something not knocking yahoo news but it was from you know medical journals they tend to cite all the things and before they publish it so it's like well that's interesting because you know there's people who think well i only need to eat this and this it's it boils down to we need all kinds of different nutrients and finding out the ones that work best for us means our body will process all that stuff a lot easier and we'll feel better and we'll have the energy. And when you have the energy and you feel good, that's when you do good. That's when you work well. That's when you get creative. That's when you're, you're sitting and going my next adventure, you know, like you're, you're retired. That's right. But you're, you're thinking, you know what? I want to use this thing between my ears, but what do I want to do? And when you're rested and you feel good, creativity is there and then you'll come up with some ideas and you can try it. it may it may go well it may not you won't know if you don't go and that that's that's the key thing is just when people are burned out they don't want to go the creativity dies and then they could die or they have you know hopefully they never go through anything like i did but unfortunately a lot of people do but what bothers me most about burnout, obviously from my own personal journey, I never want to go through it again, but what bothers me the most is it robs society of people being able to create great things that you and I consume and buy and use. So somebody that could be 
you know, burned out right now, if they weren't, could create the next great whatever that would make a tremendous impact on our lives and our ability to do things. But we may not get it because they're burned out and they they stop short and they don't do it. And that's the thing that just bothers me more than anything. It's like, I don't want people burning out. I just, I hate it. I mean, I think everybody fights it, right? I mean, if you're, if you're trying to do something great, uh, this is always going to be a boogeyman in the closet coming after you. And that's why I think this message resonates so much and why I was so excited to talk to you. Michael, if there's, um, if somebody wants to hear more about this or your story, you know, where can they find you? Best place to go is breakfastleadership.com. It's got a ton of links at the top. My podcast links to some online courses. I'm building out more. So there's going to be a lot more content coming on that. Um, I've got a bunch of books online. There's some free resources as well on the website. Just go down the rabbit hole of it, breakfastleadership.com. And uh, there's also a contact me uh, section on there. So if someone has a question or comment or a filthy remark, they can ah. send me a message there. Um, well, we, in the pre-show, you know what my dog calls me. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Hey, what's the name of your podcast, by the way, the breakfast leadership show. I figure keep, keep it all consistent. Keep yeah, it all consistent. So. so, and very successful by the way, apparently that podcast is. I've been at it since 2017 and it, it boggles my mind that I've been at it since 2017, but I have, and I've interviewed some amazing human beings and some great stories and I, I grow from it. You know, that too, oh, yeah. you know, when you, you, you have guests on the show and you're like, wow, that was a great conversation about all kinds of things. So, uh, I love the medium. It, it's, it's great. It, it educates people and, uh, you can pick and choose, you know, what you want to listen to, which is great. And it's, it's, I'm still having a blast with it. You have any tips for an idiot, uh, backyard podcaster like myself? Just continue having fun with it. Don't overload yourself with too many interviews at once. Um, and, you know, just, you know, be confident because the fact that you're out there sharing messages and informing people is something that is so desperately needed in this world, in this world of all the negativity, all the sensational stuff. And I'm not going to go any details on any of it, but we all know what it is. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, Hollywood type, this person's doing this or that, or, the political landscape and all of that, you know, having, you know, shows like yours that are out there that, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're making some, you know, tasty food and also having a conversation. What that does is for the listener and I'm, you know, obviously listen is, you know, it's as if we're just sitting in the backyard and we're having conversation about stuff. And I think that's, that's, that's the format. And I, I, you know, that's how I do my show. Just having, you know, a conversation about things and, and, and it brings people in and they just, okay. And, and they, and they consume what they want to, and they get the nuggets and hopefully there's a nugget or two that, um, that they like, and, you know, not the chicken nugget that was in the back seat of the minivan for three <laughs> years. Don't it's well-preserved. I wouldn't eat it, but it's preserved. Man, it's been a joy to have you on this show. Thank you so much. Thank Your message you. is so important. My pleasure. Um, and I hope this, I really hope this episode reaches a lot of people because it's really important to talk about this. I know I get on the show and yuck, yuck a lot, but like, I really believe that's a story that people need to hear. I think we, to your point earlier, 
what would society look like if we had everybody operating at a higher level because they were rested and they were taking care of themselves just believe that to my core so thank you for sharing that with us go check him out at breakfast leadership the breakfast leadership podcast as well as his website and you can also make sure you follow us online by the way we're at tiktok we're on social media we're at instagram facebook i said that like tiktok's not social media it's i think so right it counts it's not i don't sad sadly to report i don't do any of the dances right so if you're coming to tiktok for me you're not going to get that hmm. but if you will connect with us we got some fun stuff on that um and make sure you subscribe uh to the show give us a good rating and uh we'll see you next time thank you so much for being here michael thank you take care